Hello, it's Anthony Chadwick from the Webinar Vet, welcoming you to another episode of Vet Chat, the UK's number one veterinary podcast. Uh, I'm really honoured today to have a good friend of mine, Virginie Guffo, on the line. I met Virginie just prior to the pandemic, actually. We were at a meeting together. Who would have thought that it would be four years before we met again? Uh, I was over in Belgium. Uh, I've always wanted... Out of interest, I'm a bit of a history buff, uh, and I studied O-level, GCSE level, uh, revolutionary history, 1789 to 1870 in Europe. And Virginie lives close to a famous uh, little village called Brain Dalot. Of course, nobody will know where that is or what that signifies, Virginie, unless you live in, in Belgium. But of course, if we were going to be completely accurate, the Battle of 1815, which we call Waterloo, I actually live in Waterloo, uh, should be called the Battle of Brain shouldn't it? Exactly, yeah. So the, the monument to this famous battle where Napoleon lost to the Duke of Wellington uh, is in brain but the monument is in Waterloo. So they have the claim to fame, even though it's not geographically accurate. <laughs> well, I think the reason I'm, I'm told that the battle was called Waterloo was because Wellington uh, actually stayed at the big hotel in Waterloo the night before the battle. And that was his battle headquarters, as it were, yeah. uh, and hence why why yeah. it's called Waterloo. And who knows, had it had it not uh, been called Waterloo, but Braindalow, then of course I might now be living in a suburb of Liverpool called Braindalow. But I live in <laughs> That's possible, Waterloo, and then we wouldn't have that great Abba song, would we? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, Braindalow. Would, doesn't trip off the tongue quite as easily, does no, it? No, it's, it's not quite as aesthetically pleasing to the tongue now. So, <laughs> But it was great meeting you before Christmas. We had a good chat about a number of topics, um, some of which we'll cover during the podcast. But I think just so people kind of get to know you better before we, we start on the podcast proper, um, people will notice that you're living in Belgium now, uh, but there is a touch of a of an um, Atlantic, mid-Atlantic or transatlantic accent. So tell us, how has this all happened? Well, so yes, I am Belgian in origin and my parents are, in, are Belgian. And when I was five, my father's job transferred him to uh, a country town in southern Tennessee. And so this is where I grew up in the country uh, with a lot of horses and not my horses, unfortunately, but a lot of horses, cats and dogs and farm animals. And then um, then we moved up to Nashville, the capital of Tennessee. And I went to Vanderbilt for my undergrad in biology. And then I went to UT vet school in Knoxville. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so and then proceeded to move around the country for various uh, jobs and veterinary medicine, large animals in North Carolina, small animals in South Carolina and New Jersey. And then I worked for Veerback uh, Pharmaceuticals in Texas and Shearing Plow in New Jersey, and then somehow managed to move back to Belgium in 2003. So that's where I am now. <laughs> it's quite a and I spent a very enjoyable Easter, last Easter, in the uh, state of Tennessee. Based myself mainly in Nashville with my wife. My wife um, is is a big Dolly Parton fan, so I'd been to Nashville before. I won the Frank BT Travel Scholarship in '97 to go to the Derm Conference there oh, and right. spend three weeks with Danny and Danny Scott and Bill Miller. 
at the at the vet school in in Cornell. Um, so I'd been there before. She was very keen to see it. We went down to Memphis to see the uh, site of uh, well, obviously Elvis the King, but obviously there were also the other king sadly died in Memphis. So we saw his motel where he'd been tragically assassinated, and then finally we moved up to Sevierville. Where of course uh, Dolly comes I'm sorry, from. Sorry, it's pronounced Severeville. 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 <laughs> where where uh, the the Smoky Mountains and uh, Dollywood is, and uh, we had a great holiday. It's a it's a beautiful state, it's and in fact we actually state. dodged a tornado, which made life quite exciting on the way down to Memphis. So, cool. all all exciting stuff. Uh, so basically, moving back to to Belgium in 2003 and and obviously you know during your time as a vet you've been very involved in academia in practice in pharma also with EBVS doing something you know as an educator into clients as well haven't you just tell us a little bit about EBVS yeah so uh, in 2019 and and this this kind of ties in with my my the chronic disease story which we're going to tell here in a minute um, you know, I, I wanted to do something on my own, something where I could manage my own time and chronic illness at the same time. And so I decided, uh, I thought, I thought that starting a company would, would be easier on my body and mind. <laughs> it wasn't, but, uh, I, it's the, it's the best years that I've spent, uh, I think professionally. So I started a company that aimed to provide, uh, video, uh, video education, uh, by interviewing to to the general public, uh, to pet owners, by interviewing the top specialists in Europe, and so through a partnership with the European Board of Veterinary Specialists and uh, relationships with uh, just uh, many many delightful specialists in Belgium, France, and the Netherlands, uh, created over 500 uh, short educational videos for pet owners on. Uh, everything from chronic disease, uh, I'm sorry, everything from um, from uh, preventive care, how to pick a pet, to breed-related diseases, age-related diseases, you know, heart diseases in the dog and cat, uh, breed, um, derma- dermatologic diseases, etc., parasites. And so, yeah, just and, and created wonderful relationships and friendships with that. And so right now working with a uh, digital education company to try and uh, and get those into a good format that'll be uh, easier to uh, to share with the public. Fantastic, Virginia. You know, it's interesting as vets, we're very much at the front line fighting disease um, mouth pandemic in the UK in 2001, you know, as an example, which obviously is was a terribly stressful uh, time you know yeah. for large animal vets but i remember as a student um and as a young vet i went out to a lot of farms taking bloods to check for brucellosis so tb the dairy herd at that time in the 1990s we were concerned about tb we still are but brucellosis i think we more or less eradicated by blood tests etc and i think you know, I was fortunate in, in a sense that it was 19, the, the late 80s, early 90s, when I was doing a lot of this testing. And in some ways, it was incredibly rare brucellosis then. But of course, brucellosis had been a, a serious debilitating disease, not only for cattle, but, you know, particularly for for vets, stockmen who yeah. were coming into contact with those animals, yeah. 
yeah. obviously people drinking non-pasteurized contaminated milk and the disease that actually came about was a disease called undulant recurrent fever and it was so bad and so up and down people would have fevers they would get depressed with it and you know vets took their own life and obviously um you know, we'd met in 2019, not been able to meet since. And I think the value of those face-to-face meetings in a lovely cafe in Waterloo was we were able to spend some really good quality hours together, really delving deep into this whole area of chronic illness. I mean, it is, does seem to be a problem that's increasing. And I, it was fascinating to, to learn about your particular story, uh, you know, about some of these tick-borne diseases like Lyme's disease, but also, you know, Bartonella, cat scratch disease in, in humans. 30% of cats carry this. We know it's also carried via flea bites as well. Yeah. So there's lots of potential for us to catch things as as vets. Yeah. Um, but perhaps this is an area that, you know, post that, Brucella recurrent fever that I think was very well recognized and mm-hmm. certainly by the 90s and thank God we were we were moving away from it because we'd managed to eradicate brucellosis to a, a large extent. Now with global warming, tick-borne disease, if anything, is becoming more common. Ticks are becoming more common. They carry some nasty infections, fleas also. So tell us a little bit about... Um, you know, your story around chronic illness and maybe um, also we can delve then later on into some of these particular diseases as well. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I've, you know, I've, I grew, you know, grew up around animals from a very early age. And, and so that's, you know, way before I ever thought about becoming a veterinarian. And then, of course, you know, you're around a lot of, of, uh, of animals and, um, I think that as veterinarians, we sort of see ourselves as invincible, (laughs) you know, I think, you know, we, if we get a cat scratch, we'll kind of blow it off or whatever. Um, Oh, you know, it's okay. I'll just put a little soap on it. Don't worry about it. You know? And, and so we, we do, I think have this sort of invincibility um, idea of ourselves uh, and not only that, but we feel almost feel like our lives are, are as, and our health is much less important than the health of our patients. And so I think maybe we pay less attention to our own health uh, than to that of our patients. So I think that's just maybe a, a general statement that I'd like to make about what kind of people we are, you know. And we're also, I think we tend to be very focused people and people who are hardworking and who, you know, shrug off uh, discomfort um, for the sake of, of, you know, of our mission, our passion, which is veterinary, you know, treating animals. And um, the other thing I like to say is that chronic disease is uh, is a nasty little thing because it sneaks up on you. Uh, it sneaks up on you. And uh, a lot of times it's invisible. Um, and so, you know, you, chronic disease for you may be, you know, constant low grade or, or maybe fluctuating levels of pain or fatigue, you know, chronic fatigue. And uh, it may be depression. It may be anxiety. Uh, and it may be difficulty in, in getting over a viral infection. And you're just like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm maybe and, and, you know, combined with, of course, what we know about the medical profession and in particular the veterinary profession. 
uh, which is uh, a very stressful environment to work in. It's very demanding. Uh, we know about the time pressures. We know about, you know, now with uh, with the internet, the kind of uh, social social media pressures that we that we have, and people, you know, giving you bad reviews, and then people being more and more demanding. So, from a psychological point of view, a veterinary medicine is is more difficult now, and. Also, I think, Virginia, you know, a little bit hidden. I met you in 2019, had no idea. You would have had no idea. You were battling against, you just came across as a very vivacious woman. That's right. Um, So people don't recognize it. And I suppose a bit like the kind of mental health thing, which has come on so much. Yeah. We we maybe aren't as um, compassionate and sympathetic towards it either compared with, you know, somebody's got a broken leg, that's very obvious, isn't it? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is an obvious. And, and you know, of course, we, we do our very best to hide it um, because it doesn't, people don't like hearing people complain about how they feel. Um, and we always want to put our best foot forward. And so we're going to hide if we don't feel good as much as possible. Um, and so... You know, I had been, I've been dealing with decades and decades of uh, low, medium to high level of chronic pain, decades of it, uh, and fatigue and depression sometimes and anxiety. And by and large, uh, you know, I've, I've got a few sort of radiographic abnormalities in my spine and some arthrosis. And uh, I, I was like, oh, well, I guess it's just because I'm, I'm a little arthritic and maybe I just push myself too hard and maybe that's why I'm tired. Blow it off, blow it off, blow it off. Um, and then in 2015, at age 47, out of nowhere, I was training for uh, a half marathon. So I've always been very athletic, uh, health conscious in my diet. I've never really drank or smoked or anything like that. And so out of nowhere, I have a heart attack. <laughs> Uh, and they detect that I have quite a lot of uh, arterial debris, quite a lot of atherosclerosis, which has no reason for being there. They're like, oh, we don't know. Or, and, uh, you know, I'm kind of a high, strong, energetic person. So they're like, oh, maybe, you know, it's stress and it's takotsubo, which is that heart uh, attack that comes from, you know, great stress. I have stress like everyone else has stress. You know, do I think it's stress worth causing a heart attack? Not really. Uh, and so the... The diagnosis was, uh, you know, arterial plaques. Don't really know why it happened. Don't really know why you have plaques. Uh, Just take aspirin and you'll be fine. (laughs) So six months later, I become crippled with debilitating pain and brain fog and cognitive disorders, memory loss, uh, really inability to focus. Uh, in ability and you know calculating abilities uh, that are that are diminished and then I go to see some doctors and uh, a rheumatologist says oh you have fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue so he prescribes uh, painkillers and um, sleep medicine and says good luck with that Uh, none of that works of course and so as the years go on I become progressively more uh, more in pain uh, and more exhausted. And, uh, you know, I, I'm still trying to hold down full-time jobs in the pharmaceutical industry uh, and it's becoming impossible. Uh, the doctor puts me on disability here in Belgium. And then I'm like, you know, as, as a person of kind of our ilk, the veterinary ilk, I am like, I have to 
do something. I have to work. And so I created this animated solutions thinking that it would be easier, but it wasn't. It was much harder. And um, in doing my EBVS uh, specialist interviews, I came across this wonderful woman who's a small animal internal specialist, internal medicine specialist, who told me her story about Bartonella. And she said, you know, I have I was wheelchair bound for several years of my life. Uh, and I've been suffering with, you know, this uh, with neurologic problems uh, and, of course, extreme fatigue and pain and um, didn't know what to do. Went to many, many doctors and couldn't find relief. And she said, then I went and and was referred to this doctor, the specialist in uh, Flanders in Belgium. He saved my life. And I was like, whoa, that's a big deal. He saved your life. He says and she says, I'm. I'm back to normal. I'm back to myself after seven years of debilitation. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess maybe I should see this guy. So I make an appointment with this doctor last summer, summer 2023. And he looks at me and he listens to, he does a thorough anamnesis and he listens to my history, my medical history. And he looks at me and he looks at my, you know, and he does a physical exam and he says, I'm 90% sure that you have active infections with one, two, or three of the following organisms, Babesia, Bartonella, and Borrelia, and that you have an autoimmune syndrome that is uh, the result of this, and that this is the cause of your, your decades of chronic illness, and uh, that's probably the cause of the heart attack that you had, and I said, Okay, you know, sounds a little witch doctory. All right. So I had to sign an agreement to do all of the testing you wanted to do because it was going to cost me thousands of euros, which it did. And two months later, after all the tests came in, he says, I have good news. <laughs> I said, okay. He says, you're going to be one of the few people in this world who gets healthier with age. And I said, okay. He said, you do in fact have Babesia, active Babesia, active Bartonella, and active Borrelia, not Lyme's Borrelia, but other species of Borrelia, which cause something called relapsing fever. So Lyme's negative, but positive for other Borrelia. You also have active Epstein-Barr virus, which has been activate, kept active by the extreme immunosuppression that you're dealing with with these parasites. And bacteria. You also have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. You have low blood volume and baroreceptors that don't function. You have uh, irritable bowel syndrome uh, and you have temporary dementia. You have cognitive impairment uh, as a result of these bugs uh, affecting the nervous system in a very, very negative way. Um, which can also lead to, you know, severe depression as well. So, you know, that all falls into line. Um, and your heart attack was due to Bart the Bartonella. Bartonella invades the endothelium and uh, causes atherosclerosis and can even affect the myocardium directly. So he's in one di big diagnostic effort has given me the precise reason why I've had decades of mm. health problems. And and of course, it's interesting, uh, Virginie, if 
you don't if you're not aware of these diseases you know if, it, if it's not on your differential diagnosis list you'll never actually make that diagnosis so if doctors aren't thinking about this and we as vets aren't thinking about it then it's not going to be diagnosed and then even if we do think about doing tests of course not all tests are 100 percent sensitive specific and accurate so they can be missed and i know you kind of have got some information about that you know i remember when i newly qualified and a pathologist got me to do a test and then said well because of that test it was a urine um, cortisol creatinine ratio this dog that you've got has cushing's disease and as a young vet i took the pathologist at his word and of course it wasn't you know one of the diagnoses it could be was cushing's but there were other things going on so it's important that while we know that uh, there's a lot of really clever pathologists around uh, we shouldn't treat them as gods you know they like us also make mistakes and, and make incorrect diagnoses don't they well, that's correct, and it's not just—it's not—it's not just the pathologist; it's the tests themselves. Yeah. So, um, especially with these kinds of infections, uh, there, for for the majority of the tests that you can run on these, there's an enormous amount of false positive and false negative, both across the board. Mm. Um, some organisms, and I'll just use uh, Barton, or uh, sorry, um, uh, Borrelia as an example is particularly hard to test for because not only does it uh, does it have a lot of antigenic variation that allows it to escape detection and also escape treatment, but it creates a biofilm around itself to hide in the body. And so if the doctor doesn't know that you need to first treat the patient with a little over a week of uh, a supplement that will dissolve that biofilm that will make it detectable, you're going to get false results. Not only that, uh, tests that are currently available for uh, for Borrelia species are simply inaccurate. The only test that this doctor uh, swears is is actually accurate is a phage PCR test. Uh, so if the phage is present, the Borrelia is present. But that's the only test he trusts. But there are so many Borrelia tests out there that are simply in a, inaccurate. And so there, you know, we're talking about a, a diagnostic and therapeutic uh, problem that is global, that that lies in that doctors, most doctors don't know about these diseases and the co-infections. You know, most ticks that will bite you will, will be carrying and transmitting more than one disease mm. that are not looked for. Um, if it's not limed with the bullseye, people, doctors don't think about, you know, that being yeah. a, a possibility. Um, if you don't have super swollen lymph nodes, they don't think about Bartonella. Uh, they don't understand chronic infection. And, you know, um, and then you have to know, yeah, which tests and how to interpret it in a very holistic anamnesis of the patient. Very few doctors have those capabilities and also relationships with laboratories that can give accurate results. So I think, Virginia, the, the other thing that you mentioned is, um, obviously the expertise, but also he spent a significant amount of time with you in that first consult, which allowed him to take a really, really good history. And I found the same thing with my dermatology service. Obviously, I knew a little bit more than the most vets would know about dermatology. But I think the biggest gift I had, blessing I had, was the fact that I could spend an hour with the client 
particularly that first consult, spending time on the history, watching the dog as I was taking the history. And quite often by the end of that 20 minutes, half an hour, I was pretty sure I knew the one or two or three things it could be. And then it was just a case of bringing the tests in to actually differentiate all that, which, you know, clearly would take a little bit more time. But sometimes I remember, you know, uh, I remember uh, two young doctors brought in a dog uh, and you could see the dog was itchy and scratchy for the 20 minutes it was there. Of course, the one question, do you have lesions as well? These were both young GPs. Oh, yeah, we scratch quite a lot as well. Hmm. Well, I think I might know what's going on here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, of course, that was all just down to it, taking good history. And then, of course, yeah. being good at uh, finding scabies mites on a scrape. And if you couldn't find them on a scrape, you could do a blood test. Yeah. So the the history and having that extra, he obviously has a lot more knowledge, but that extra knowledge in that area is critical, isn't it? it yeah, it is. And, and most GPs won't have that kind of time. Yeah. Uh, or knowledge or, or knowledge yeah so um what what i'm doing right now as you know anthony is uh, you know i'm sort of on a mission to sensitize not only veterinary uh, professionals but also other people who are at high risk uh for contracting these types of diseases you know anyone who works outdoors uh you know and hunt hunters uh environmentalists uh you know farmers uh to to this and also to uh develop uh, almost a service to help people navigate the healthcare system because it's not it's not always easy you know in the US and I think maybe in the UK uh you can't just get like here in Belgium we can just make an appointment with a specialist you know if we get the the name of a great specialist we can just make an appointment with that specialist you know uh, in the U.S., you generally, if I, if, I mean, I, I'm not up on it yet. I need to, to do more research, but you have to go through your GP and get approval to go see a specialist. Then maybe they'll decide which specialist you can go see. Mm. Um, you don't necessarily have a choice of which labs are doing, you know, or analysis on your, yeah. on your samples. So um, these are all things that I'm still uh, working out to uh, to help people navigate this. Anyone who's suffering from chronic fatigue, myalgic encephalitis, fibromyalgia, long COVID, chronic Lyme's, depression and anxiety, especially if they have any kind of gut issues. These are people who are at a very high risk of being infected without knowing it mm. with something that's very treatable. Um, that's very treatable. And I think that's the main message here is that yeah. uh, maybe what you have isn't just a chronic illness that you're going to have to deal with for your whole life and try dealing with with symptomatic care. Maybe this is something that with the right specialist can be cured. And yeah. I know we're running out of time, so I'd like to just sort of close with my own situation. I, I've, I've been on six weeks of intense antibiotic therapy intravenously. I was on three different antibiotics. I was on metronidazole, a third generation cephalosporin and doxycycline for six weeks. Uh, and now I've just finished an eight-week course of treatment with disulfiram, which is an abuse for alcoholics, but it also has antibacterial properties. And whereas I was living with pain levels that were, uh, you know, between seven and nine out of 10 every day, 
uh, my pain levels are now down to zero to two or three every day. Whereas I woke up, you know, if I was able to sleep, I would wake up 13, 15 times a night, or I would just wouldn't sleep at all for the whole night, zero sleep and definitely non-restorative sleep. Now I'm sleeping through the night, most nights. So, you know, I'm a, I'm converted. <laughs> I'm a believer. Uh, and I'm not the only one, of course, you know, I, you know, he has many, many, uh, case, uh, cases that he has told me about. I'll just give you one, one sort of last amazing example, which is, um, uh, a, um, a green beret, uh, soldier who had been bedridden for four years. He had been bedridden seen all kinds of doctors and his commander somehow via via found the name of this specialist and he brought him to the specialist who diagnosed pretty much the same uh, bugs that I was diagnosed with. He treated him. It was uh, about a year's worth of treatment, which is about what I'm going to have about a year's worth of treatment. And within a year, this bedridden soldier, four year bedridden soldier was back on active duty. Mm. And his commander said, you know, doctor, you have just given me back my best soldier. Yeah. And that's just one of many, many stories like that one and me that are just propelling me to say, you know, to reach out to people uh, at risk. Well, I only have one word for Ginny. Yeah. Hallelujah. 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 That's right. It's uh, it's yeah. so, um, you know, it was such a powerful story to chat to you, you know, when I came to Brain Delo. And I think it's certainly something that I hope will spread with the help of the podcast. And I know, obviously, at the end of the podcast, you can see various links to various things, you know, including your own details. Yeah. Um, to, to let people you know, come into contact and chat and uh, see if we can help more people out because it's great when you've got something that is supposedly chronic, you're never going to get over it, and then somebody actually tells you, no, we can sort this out. Yeah. I know the the, um, the doctors based in the, the Flemish-speaking part of, um, of Belgium, but presumably there are other people throughout the world that are there also are. yeah you know in that kind of group of people yeah with this doctor who kind of recognize that there are things that were that were missing i know um i remember reading about toxoplasma causing all sorts of issues as well so it's not just these three bugs there are other bugs and as you said even with long covid um, right. there can be other things going on it's not yeah. just an inflammatory right this is it not in all cases obviously yeah, yeah. but uh, we, we've seen the effect of um, viruses protozoa bacteria in causing all sorts and of uh, yeah. I mean, other big ones are anaplasma or lichia yeah. uh, these types of organisms are also uh, and and just to specify you know, many people think, for example, that uh, relapsing fever is transmitted only by soft ticks. It's not true. So hard ticks, uh, you know, dermacentor, exodes, these are ticks that can transmit all of these bacteria, parasites, viruses, molds, toxins. Mm -hmm. 
in one bite. And I said, to, I said to the doctor, I've never been bitten by a tick. I've never found a tick on me. He said, that's normal. He said only 20% of people who have ever, who have been bitten by ticks ever know they've been bitten by a tick. Yeah. Generally, we're talking about nymphs that take a short bite. It's not true that they have to be attached for three to mm. six days or one to three days uh, yeah. to transmit Lyme disease. Even they can, they can bite for just a short amount of time, drop right off. You'll never see that nymph. And of course, we've probably all had a flea inhabit us in the in the job that we do, and Absolutely, obviously fleas yeah. can be significant. Yeah. And I think maybe one of the little prophylactic messages for people is I invariably, if I go out into the countryside to walk, you know, I like bird watching, etc. I will always wear long trousers in that situation. Yeah, and put some little in. beat on the bottom of your pants. Yeah, exactly, yeah. just to protect against these things as yeah. well. But yeah. Virginia, it's so gratifying. I saw you about five or six weeks ago. You look even better than you did uh, five or six I weeks ago. <laughs> you can you can see that there's a there's a little um, you know kick in your step now, which yeah, is yeah. which is great. So um, obviously we'll have details post podcast that people can get in contact with you, um, and obviously there's a lot of information out there that you can share as well but yeah just thank you for coming on i think it's when we've been through an experience ourselves it's so good to be able to then go out and teach other people about it isn't it yeah i really thank you for the opportunity anthony because um you know i think this could change a lot of lives yeah no i i i am concerned that it's a you know that it's a bigger problem than we perhaps realize so yeah, it's yeah, something we should it be is, looking yeah. at but Ginny, thank you so much for coming on. You know, I really appreciate it. Thanks everyone for listening. Um, please do get in touch with Virginia if you've got any questions. Yes. And of course, yeah, welcoming you to another podcast or webinar very soon. Virginia, thanks again. And thanks thank everyone. Thank you, Anthony. Take <laughs> care. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.